Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. We've got to live no matter how many skies have fallen. D.H. Lawrence. I was slowly starting to lose it more and more and it was dawning on me and then I, I Justin goes, hey, you can tap the hut with your stick, right? And I tap that that front right corner of the hut with my with with my stick, and I was like, I tap the hut, I tap the hut, and then I kept going, and then everyone, I, you know, my crew was like, hey guys, like this is a really big moment, like we're about to make history. Can you guys move out of the way? Like this is a really big deal. And I basically got to summit with a silent crowd and like everyone kind of on the periphery and i got to touch that that waypoint sign essentially and then that's when i just everyone started applauding i just bawled i bawled for probably 10 minutes straight just i was like i'm getting emotional about it right now like never let alone the past basically almost three years but let alone everything i'd been through to finally get to that summit the low the highest mountain in the lower 48 i'm doc and this is the john freaking Muirpod. welcome to the john freaking muir pod lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails short and long with your host and renaissance man doc it's time to embrace the suck
Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Let's start off with the obligatory reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you are not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right. Hey, let's get to this week's guest with whom I kind of crossed paths with, with on my last outing to the Sierras this summer. Though we didn't actually see each other on the trip, Jack Ryan Greener passed right by my camp in the early morning hours, just two miles short of Mount Whitney. Welcome to the podcast, Jack. Thanks for having me, man. I'm stoked to be here. You have quite a story, and I think it's, it, I think it's very inspirational. I'm excited to share this with our listeners. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's, it's a pretty gnarly one. Can't, can't lie. We are always looking for gnarly stories. Yeah. Okay. Hey, one of the things that we do here on the podcast is we go by trail names, if you have one. So I have to ask, Jack, do you have a trail name? Have you picked one up? Uh, I feel like those are bestowed upon you. Um, I was not bestowed a trail name yet. So if you're willing to give me one, I have plenty more hikes planned. Okay. Well, we'll keep our, our ears open, our minds open to see if we can come up with a trail name during the episode. Until then, though, you'll just go by Jack. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Hey, have you had a chance to listen to any of the podcast episodes? Jack, I have, I have not. I've been pretty off grid probably the past five, six days on the beaches of Costa Rica. So wait, 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 wait a second. You're in Costa Rica right now. Yeah. So funny story. Um, about one week before this whole, uh, JMTPCT Mount Whitney summit occurred, I had a good friend of mine call me up who I lived with in Costa Rica about four years ago in 2017. And she's like, I don't know who to call, but a friend of a friend of a friend needs some surfboards delivered. That person will pay for your round trip ticket. You just have to bring the surfboards down. Um, can you make it happen? And I was like, well, I'm Jack fucking greener. So of course I can make it happen. Um, and yeah, literally we got off uh, Whitney portal on Sunday and I flew down here uh, last Wednesday. So I've been in Nosara, Costa Rica for the past probably five days now rough that's a rough experience man it's a hard life <laughs> hey and i have to ask your name is jack ryan greener parents fans of the uh the espionage uh yep. genre that's yeah that's so my first and middle name that's what i'm named after i was named after the tom clancy character very good all right yeah the spy who loved me maybe that's the trail name i don't know maybe that might be too long let's see yeah Okay. So I, the reason I asked if you have listened to the podcast is to see if you are familiar with one of the regular features that we have on the podcast, which is the pro tip inside of the week. And what that is, is towards the end of the episode, I will turn yeah. to you and I'll say Jack or Jack Ryan, or maybe a trail name at that point. I'll yeah. say, Hey, do you have a, a, a chunk of wisdom, some insight that you can share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better? Oh, trust me. I have a lot of insight. Okay. Yeah. Fan fantastic. Don't be surprised when we get there. Yeah. Okay. Hey, a uh another feature we've been doing this season is the must bring gear review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company Outdoor Vitals. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Jack. What is your must-bring piece of gear? Oh, that's a good question. Um, my must-bring piece of gear, literally right off the top of my head, was an inflatable pillow. Like, 
there's not a lot of comfort in the backcountry, right? But that little inflatable pillow, I can't name the brand that I have off the top of my head, makes like, especially for me with my disability and everything, makes a world of difference in terms of comfort. Yeah, I, I would I would heartily agree with that. Uh, that must bring piece of gear. I've tried the stuff sack filled with clothes or a you know a, a jacket, and it's just I've done the same. I've done it's the not same. The, it's not the same. It's horrible. It's uh, yeah. For me, it's like I'm willing to have that few extra grams just to have that little pillow. Yes, so that, that was a that was a game changer on this trip. Very wise. I bring a trichology. Trichology. Okay. Uh, okay. inflatable pillow. I don't know if it's the same you, you have or not, but. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I picked mine off of Ari. I didn't even look at it. Cause I was like, my sponsor's paying for it. So just, right. like, just throw it in the car and I'll take it. Like, but that was that. Yeah. That's the big piece of gear. I think that was, I've done the stuff sack. I've done jackets. I've done, you know, I've pretty much done it all. So, uh, that inflatable taking the inflatable pillow for the first time was the, was the game changer. Yeah. And hopefully our listeners, their interests have, have peaked a little bit here because we've mentioned disability. We've mentioned sponsor, but we, we haven't given anything away yet. So yeah. um, without giving too much away, what, you know, what is your base weight in your pack? Do you carry a, a sizable pack on your, on your hikes? How does that work? So the way my pack weight broke down during my training sessions for the past two years um, would average between 15 to 32 pounds. Um on my stair stepper training sessions, I would up that weight to about 32 to 35 for about 60 minutes. Um, during my outdoor hikes, that would range anywhere from two miles with, you know, the flat irons, right? 1500 vert to um, six, seven, eight miles. I would probably average around a 15 to 20 pound pack. Okay. And what, what, uh, what give us a, a run through of some sampling of the gear that you've got in your kit. Are you a tent guy? Are you a tarp guy, cowboy camp? What do you do? I'm a tent guy. So, um, I have always used like just one person tents, like the REI one person tents, the, um, not marmot tents. I had a different one a while, like three years ago, but I usually use like a one or two person tent. Um, as far as like other, I just try and keep it as light as possible. Right. Cause my legs are probably 50% of what they were strength wise. Um, and actually on this specific trip, I had my friends carry my bag, um, for portions of the trail because of the terrain typically. Mm-hmm. So the you lighter, got, the better. If you've got friends carrying the bag, I mean, just load it up 50 pounds. I mean, uh, all the creature comforts. Yeah. See, I'm a, I'm a minimalist at heart. Like if you saw my apartment, you're like, this is very Spartan. Um, so I, I always try to keep my bag as light as possible. And I've, I've done that since I started backpacking. Well, that, your friends should thank you. That's very thoughtful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they were, they were stoked that they didn't have to carry more than about 20 pounds. So nice. Now, before we get too far down the trail, let's, let's back up a little bit and let's go through your origin story in terms of outdoor experience. So we'd, we'd love to hear about, uh, you know, where you grew up, what your family was like, was the outdoor experience, you know, part of growing up with your family and how'd you get hooked on the outdoors? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, I started traveling with my family and independently around about 12 years old. I will be the first to tell you, I grew up pretty Silverstone, um, very comfortable upbringing parents, probably parents divorced like first, first year of high school, but um, for the most part, it was a comfortable upbringing, and I have no qualms admitting that. 
Um, as far as like the outdoors and stuff, I grew up from the time I was four or five, like surfing and on the beaches of San Diego. And that eventually led to, you know, free diving because we would go to Catalina every summer to go just free dive and, and sail over there. And that eventually led to spear fishing, right. Um, and you know, subsistence hunting. Um, and then that eventually led to backpacking. Right. So, um, one thing led to another and I, I pr pretty much spent both the majority of my childhood and adulthood outside in some form, whether in the water or on trails or in, you know, rock climbing or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Siblings. Uh, yeah, I have a, I have a younger brother. He is 24. He lives in Denver as well with me. Um, he's a rock climber. He's not, we, we like, we joke, uh, a hike is just an approach with no crag. <laughs> um, and so it's been the running joke. It's like, if you're not going to rock climb now, it's just a hike and that's no fun. <laughs> so, um, looking to switch that trend around, um, with some more technical climbs in the future, but yeah, he's a, uh, he's 24. He's a good kid, works hard, spends a lot of time climbing as well. Okay. So your base of operations is in Denver. Is in Denver. Yeah. And I, I bounce between Denver and San Diego, as well as North Northern California on a monthly basis. Okay. Those are some good yeah. locales for outdoor experiences. Yeah, man. I, I'm, I thank my lucky stars. I've created a lifestyle that allows to bounce between places like Tahoe and Yosemite and San Diego and, and Denver and Boulder and spots like that. So mm -hmm. now in that backstory there, you mentioned a couple of things I want to touch upon. Maybe get, get a little more in depth. Tell me about free diving because that, that seems to me to be a, a very, um, interesting pastime. I mean, when you talk free diving, you're talking about going, going deep with no assistance. You're, you're just using your lungs and you're down there for periods of time that us normal folk can't do. Yeah. So the crazy thing, so like I said, we grew up going to Catalina as kids. Like we would sail over with our friend's dad, um, every summer. And we were always trying to figure out how to hold our breath for longer when we'd go down to like 15, 20, 25 feet, um, diving off the sailboat whenever, wherever we were anchored. And so, um, one thing led to another, and I think it was my junior year of high school. I asked for my birthday. I was like, Hey, I don't want money. I don't want, you know, some party or anything. Like I want to learn how to like properly free dive. And so I took a, um, a sport free diving class, my junior year of high school, and it completely changed my life. Um, I learned how to not only like breathe properly, but I learned how to hold my breath. I learned the science of holding your breath. Um, and it, when we get further down the, the line with the story, the rest of the story, like free diving played a pivotal role in a lot of, has, and continues to play a pivotal role in a lot of my life. Right. You know, I watched a documentary, I think it was on Netflix. It was called, uh, we are the champions. It was like six or eight episodes of, you know, different types of, of activities. If, I, if I'm not getting this confused with something else. And I think one of the episodes was on free diving and, and these people are going down to, you know, 200 feet. Um, yeah. Which was just insane. And they would, they would come back up and sometimes they would lose consciousness in the last, you know, 10 yards you know, near the surface. And in order to win these competitions, you have to come back to the top, you know, conscious. 
and being yeah. able to kind of answer questions. And if you, if you made it to the top, but you were, you were incapacitated or out of it, I mean, then it was a, it was not ruled a, a, uh, a dive, complete dive, yeah. complete dive. Right. right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Sh- shallow water blackout is very real and a very scary thing. And they, they teach you how to mitigate that. Um, but you know, I've never had to, I've never been in that situation before, but um, that's because like, you just, you know, your limits and you don't push them unless you're in a controlled setting. So, mm-hmm. and what is the cliff notes version of the proper breathing technique to, to do free diving? So to the, to this day, I can still break it down. Like I could literally have you holding your breath in two minutes for two minutes within about 15 minutes of like instruction. Wow. Um, so it basically breaks down into, into a series of steps in the most simple way. So it starts with your diaphragm, right? Um, we're, we're taught for as men, for whatever reason in evolution, we're taught, we eventually start breathing through our upper lungs to essentially puff our chests out, right? It's a very testosterone male driven, um, inherent quality. And so what they teach you in these classes is you start with your diaphragm, right? And you breathe through your diaphragm and you drop your heart rate through that. And then what you do is as you're going to your final breath, before you dive, you go diaphragm, intercostals, right? Your ribs, and it goes your lower lungs, your upper lungs, it goes your throat, it goes your mouth, and then it goes your lips, right? And when you break that down step-by-step, you can literally feel the oxygen hitting each different section of that. And then you go hold your breath and then that's when you dive. And that's how you do a proper breathe up and a proper breath hold. So I don't know how good this, the rest of this podcast interview is going to be because I'm really <laughs> focused on my breathing right now and yeah, right? interfere with my talking. So yeah, <laughs> fantastic. And then you also mentioned um, subsistence hunting. Tell us about yeah. that. Yeah. So like that kind of started, that was a thing. We, you know, being very traditionally macho teenage boys that love the outdoors and stuff, which I, I don't abide by now, but like, um, we wanted to go to Catalina, uh, one summer for like two or three days, just like we brought some veggies, but we're like, we want to shoot what we eat. So, um, you know, after we got into free diving and I, you know, I did my courses, I, I would regularly go out to go hunt fish and lobster in San Diego. Um, and it's a really cool little niche community that is really small. Um, and yeah, just one thing led to another. And like, we would come home with talk, we'd make tacos and fried fish and all that. And then it's like, all right, well, let's go to Catalina. So we went to Catalina again one summer and just lived off of what we shot and, and ate it. And, you know, it was only like a four mile hike in or whatever it was. And, um, and it was hard. It wasn't easy. Like you're literally like, you, you die for like four hours and you're like, I only shot two fish. This is bullshit. Um, <laughs> like this is going to feed all five of us. Like what the hell? Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where it came from. And I, I spearfished and, and lobster dove all the way through college pretty much. Um, it was funny. Like my freshman year in the dorms at San Diego state, uh, I would go lobster diving and then like to fuck with all the people in the dorms you take the tails right from the heads of the lobster and we'd leave the heads in the elevator. And there's like this social media app. You're like, who the fuck left lobster heads in the elevator? And like, Oh, it was us like just messing around with people. So yeah. The merry prankster. Very good. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's how we got a lot of our uh, better meals my freshman year of college. Let's put it that way. So you did subsistence hunting and you you, you ate what you what you what you shot. Yep. But we're only talking fish and lobster. You didn't you didn't go after a bison on Catalina. No, you know what's funny is when we were on that that one trip, we did run into a bison. And I was like, we're all like 20 feet away. And you're a dumb teenage kid, right? And so you have no idea that bison can literally kill you. And we're just like face to face with this bison, like just staring at it, like, wow, I've never seen a bison this close in reality. Like, that's how you die. (laughs) (laughs) That might be the pro tip, right? Don't get that close to a bison. That could be one. Don't get close to wild animals in general. Yeah. 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 Now at San Diego State, what did you study? So um, I studied sustainability, right? So basically a glorified environmental science degree without the S and the B B part. and my, my emphasis was actually in surf tourism. So um, San Diego State has the only program in the country focused, only center, it's called the Center for Surf Research. It's the only one of its kind in the country focused around surf tourism and operations and stuff like that. It's a very Southern California thing. Um, and I found out I could, my degree advisor was like, well, you're going to Nicaragua, you're a surf guide down there, you're helping run a camp down there. You might as well just make your degree about surf tourism and like, that's what you want to do with your life. And so long story short, um, I spent my college career studying surf tourism and my goal post-grad was actually to move down to the exact spot I'm in in Nosara to teach surf professionally and run surf camps down here. Um, And so this is a pretty good segue actually. Um, three weeks before I was slated to essentially move down to Costa Rica and, and graduate college and make really make a life down here. Um, I was in a accident. So, okay. Before we get to that accident, I really want to know what are, what are the university classes that you take in the surf tourism major? Yeah. So it's not a major. It's just, it's like, it's an emphasis. Yeah, yeah, it's an emphasis. Okay. Um, it's a, a lot of it is like recreation and tourism management based, like mm-hmm. financial based, um, like business operations based. So it in a very layman's term way, it's just business classes catered around tourism. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I know that was your your projected uh, career. How do you how do you pay the bills now? Actually. So now, um, I mean, it's the easy answer is sales. Um, I work for a events company that does thought leadership podcasts. Um, what else do we do? Uh, thought leadership podcasts, events, um, stuff like that. And we're essentially the Cadillac of software as a service, like technology company, like event companies. And so, um, we it's a very uh, lucrative position to put it lightly. So um, it pays the bills. I work completely remote. I go to California, you know, once, twice a month. And um, I love the team that I work with and, you know, it's fast paced and given the lifestyle that I live, like that's good. Cause I got to stay busy. Um, and yeah, that's what pays. Okay. And do you ever, before we get to the, to the accident and, uh, things. Do you ever do any kind of motivational speaking or, or appearances for that? And you're on mute right now. 
There you yeah, go. yeah. So my headphones just died, so I don't want to cut that background audio out just as a heads up. Got it. Um, I'm working on it. So I am probably slated to go to Florida in the next month or so. Um, we'll see what happens. I made an agreement with a CEO out there that I kind of know through social media. And then um, I'm actually, I'm waiting for some stuff. So we have a film coming out. I, ha- I have LA Times front page, digital and print coming out in the next few weeks. So um, yeah, it's, it's we're kind of, we finished the big precipice of summoning Whitney. Um, and now it's kind of the, the rest of it. We're on a bigger precipice of media and, and film and video and stuff, so. Okay, exciting times. And before we get to uh, the accident, I just want to go in chronological order of of the notes that I have here. I also see that you did some time up in San Gorgonio. Yeah, so this is another great segue. Um, So I was very frustrated, um, probably mid, late college, sophomore to senior year. I, I knew I was outdoorsy. I surfed, you know, four or five days a week. I was up and down the coast. I was in and out of Mexico surfing. Um, I was hiking occasionally, like just in San Diego. And I wanted to get more heavily into backpacking, having done a little bit of it in high school, but I had no one to go with, um, which was really frustrating. And so um, what better way to then impulsively hike the tallest mountain in, in SoCal um, by yourself and so, uh, yeah, I did San. I was like, I basically looked at like the six pack of peaks challenge in Southern California. And I looked at all of them. I was like, which one's the hardest? Cause I was like, I'm in good shape. Like I can do this. Um, and San Gregonio was the one, you know, at 11, about 11,500. And I was like, all right, like how hard could it be? <laughs> and uh just just walking right it's just walking it's just a long uphill walk right uh, i uh did it on a whim one one afternoon or one afternoon one morning one morning one morning in uh in october of 2018 and yeah i did it like really quickly i think i had probably a 35 pound pack not too much of an idea of what i was doing but i was like fuck it i'm going and I got the permits. I waited at the ranger station like the morning of to get them. And then uh, I just, I hustled up that mountain. Like I hustled up that mountain. And uh, what's funny is I, I got to the the tree line at, a, you know, around 10K, 10.5, whatever it was. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, all right, I got enough water. I had food. My tent's back at camp. It's set up. I can, you know, I can overnight here. I'm, you know, I've never really done this at altitude. Um being it was my first alpine hike so to speak and uh i remember like i hit that upper trail section right before the summit where it's kind of like loose gravelly rock and i was like oh fuck it's hard to breathe and i took <laughs> i i took a few videos me like oh, just one step in front of the other like we're gonna make it eventually and then uh i got up to the summit and i you know i did the picture with the sign or whatever i was like like oh that was like that was enjoyable. Like that was fun. Like wasn't too bad. And so I took a video and in the video verbatim pretty much goes like this. Like I took a selfie video. I was like, I looked around and I was like, Oh, the sun. Cause like the sun had just come out of the clouds. And then I was like summoned San Gregonio, you know, I think the did it solo. Like the next logical choice is to go do Mount Whitney next year. 
and that so began, you know, the Whitney project, so to speak. Um, and that was San Gregonia. I overnighted, uh, you know, around nine, five or whatever it was. I wrote down a bunch of like notes and manifestation stuff that I was really working on at the time. And then I just hoofed it back down to the bottom of the mountain around like, I got put down at like 8 a.m. or something. Um, and that was my first trip to the Alpine, so to speak. So, and you were hooked. I was, I was hooked. I was like, this yeah. is fucking awesome. Yeah. Like my first real overnight hike. And I did it completely alone. No, no prep, no nothing. Just a, a confident young man <laughs> looking at up at a mountain, like, all right, this is doable. Let's just go do it. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know what AMS was. I didn't know how much water I needed. I was just like, I'm fucking going and my, I'm strong. That's all that matters. Yeah. And then when you, when you start to do planning for, for future hikes, then, then you realize that planning is like half the fun, you know, getting down into the details and logistics and, you know, where the resupplies are going to be and, you know, what kind of gear and how much water and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I did, I did, you know, I did a bit of research prior. I was like, all right, what do I need to bring? Like, this isn't, you know, we're not at sea level here. Like I did a bit of like vegetarian meal prep and everything. And I brought like black bean tacos or something and some bars and stuff. And then now, like now after completing this most recent hike, I was like, all right, now I know exactly what I need to be comfortable and like water, how many calories, everything. Like now I have it down to a science. Right, right. And you mentioned the six pack of peaks. If our listeners out there who are wondering what that is, you can go back to uh, one of our season one episodes with Jeff Hester, who is the creator of the six pack of peaks challenge and listen to uh, that episode. A lot of great information there. Six pack of peaks challenge is not just Southern California. It's in, it's in multiple locations across the country, uh, including Colorado. And I think uh, New England, the Pacific Northwest, and I think there are even starting to be some international six pack of peaks where you you pick six six uh, mountain top climbs of a, a list of maybe nine or twelve, and uh, if you enter on the website, uh, you, you get a nice. I think it's a nice T-shirt when you complete the challenge. So, oh, all right. Cool. And then um, also to go back to surfing real quick, uh, were you a big wave surfer? What was the, what was the biggest wave you ever surfed? Twelve feet. Okay. Uh, out in Hawaii. Yeah. 12 feet on Hawaii. Um, so you weren't, you weren't behind a jet ski being towed into these, these oh, huge waves no, of jaws no. or. So, you know, the you funny you bring up jaws. I have it down on my list. I was like, in terms of next hikes, I'd like to do mountain hood next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd like to do Rainier. Um, and then in terms of like other, like activities, I have the missile missing puzzle piece for me is surfing. Cause it's, it's been such a massive part of my life. And now that I now being down in Nosara and Costa Rica, I'm like, I, I really got to make this connection again, but uh, the end goal would be to surf jaws on an adaptive surfboard. Wow. That'd <laughs> but, be another, that'd be another film project right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I have some friends on Maui and they're, they're connected and they know the, the, the big wave boys over there. So um, I have the connections to make it happen. It's just more so getting to that point is the hard part. Yeah. So. Yeah. Best, best surfing documentary out there right now. Ooh, right now. So, you know, the sad part is I've been disconnected from that side of myself and the media of it. Um, as far as documentary or, or film, 
I really loved the um, the stab high like electric acid surfboard tests where basically they give a pro surfer like 12 different boards from shapers all over the world and they go to like these exotic locations and like basically the surfers like that board is shit that board is sick and then they go through like why and everything and having just same with you being like a gear nerd for hiking like I was a surfboard nerd like why do surfboards work the way they do and like why should I ride this board versus another board? And so I was like obsessed over those documentaries. Where, where can we find those? Is it on YouTube or? Uh, yeah, you can find the, the stat, like the electric acid Kool-Aid surf. I'm not nailing the title, but yeah. if you look up stab high, like surfboard test, you can find them on YouTube. Sounds like a great, a great program. In fact, if they were to serve some, some wings with hot sauce in between uh, surfing attempts, yeah. Like first we feast with the boards or something. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be good. Yeah. yeah <laughs> All right. Hey, we have been teasing this whole first, first segment here about, uh, you know, what, what happened and we're going to get to that when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned for that. Be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. The John Freakin' Mearpod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence inspiring education that empower outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident with. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, you can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultra light. And welcome back. We're talking to Jack Ryan Greener. And we have teased a couple times about, uh, you know, what about him being so inspirational and, and motivational and the accident and, you know, life before the accident, life after the accident. So let's, let's, uh, put our listeners out of their misery and let them know exactly what we're talking about here, Jack, what, uh, what, what exactly happened? Take us through it all. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we talked about San Gregonio. We talked about kind of where the Whitney project came from. So that was October, 2018. Um, about one month later, uh, I was in Thailand actually, and just life, you know, world's my oyster about to finish college. Life is great. Um, and I had just gotten back from Thailand, like late November. And I think it was November 27th. I got back 
November 29th, 2018, um, I was in a jujitsu class. Grappling, fighting, jujitsu has been part of my life since I was probably about 14, 15. Um, wrestling specifically, and then that transitioned into, into grappling and jujitsu. But um, yeah, November 29th, 2018, I was in a jujitsu class. It was a day like any other. Um, that morning, I checked my schedule and I was like, all right, you know, I don't have much on my agenda. Like, my work's good. Um, school studying is on track, you know, finals is three weeks away. Um, I'm going to go for a surf check. Right. So I went for my surf check. I was like, Oh, surf's not that good. Grabbed my, my daily coffee, kind of wrote down some like manifestation notes, whatever. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, I haven't gone to like the new jujitsu class in, I don't think ever before. Like I, I, I should go train this afternoon. Um, so I, I moseyed on over to, to Del Mar, um, to the gym in San Diego. And, you know, it was a, just a standard day. It was warm ups, some technique. And at the time I was training pretty consistently for competitions and, and stuff like that. So, um, I was getting paired up with higher level individuals on a regular cadence. And one of them being the instructor, the black belt instructor, um, who I had trained with on numerous occasions. And, uh, you know, it was about 1249 and I was in a position, a protective position called turtle. And essentially he put his knee into the back of my neck, um, and tried to torque me over, succeeded in doing so. And in the process broke my neck at C4 and C5. Uh, via an illegal move so he crushed my neck essentially um you got like that say, you got that down to the minute 1249 on yeah, on, yeah. on the day 1249 1250 because i remember looking up at the clock uh and, and so there's, there's life before 1249 and there's life after 1249 pretty much yeah wow. yeah wow. and uh so it was an illegal move done to me um and you know what a tree sounds like when it's breaking that last splinter, like the last loud crack, that's what your neck sounds like when it breaks. Um, and so immediately the whole class went dead silent. Right. And I kind of like yelled out and then I, you know, I, I rolled onto the mat essentially. And the way I describe it to everyone is when you get into a really hot, hot tub, you don't necessarily register that it's that hot. And it's kind of like this warm flooding feeling through your entire body when you get in all the way. Um, it's this, that feeling is the same exact feeling you get when you get paralyzed. So um, I was subsequently, obviously, paralyzed from the neck down uh, immediately. Now, C4, you said C4, C5? Yep, C4, C5. How, where, for us, for us laymen, where, where, how far down is that? So that, if we were to point to a, suction on our neck if you put mm -hmm. your fingers around the middle part of your neck right where it lines up with jawline um that's essentially where c4 c5 is wow, it's the high. last ver it's very high so it's mm -hmm. the last probably two vertebrae if you were to break your neck the last two vertebrae you'd want to break before it gets really it gets exponentially it's already really 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 bad but once you get into that like C3 to C1 range, that's almost guaranteed death. 
um, typically. So um, yeah, it was immediately paralyzed from the neck down upon, you know, my neck breaking. Um, so began, you know, like, oh man. Um, so began like everyone just went dead silent, right? And I was like, I can't move, I can't move. And initially, whether this was a trauma response or whether this was some, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a godless spinal cord injury survivor, but, or whether this was just some act of gut feeling or of some higher power, whatever you believe in. Um, I, my first thought was I'm going to be okay. And the second thought was, Oh fuck, I can't move. So, um, immediately the class stopped uh, the other instructor in the class, you know, was like, nobody move. Um, and then because people want, there was some, some ICU nurses in the class at the time are like, we can stabilize them. We can do, you know, we can get them good to go. And he's like, don't touch them. And then so he's like, somebody called 911, Q911. I'm starting to like, you know, freak out a bit. But what I tell everyone is, and we can circle back to the free diving thing. I knew how to breathe. And so with an injury that high up in your neck, it immediately affects everything. Your ability to breathe, like everything is affected. So um, I was just, and I was face down. I was face down. I was looking to my right and I, I was looking at the clock and I was looking at the wall and I just started to try and control my breathing as best as I could, right? Um, and then, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes later, ambulance shows up. Uh, they stripped me down naked on the mat, stabilized me, put me in the back of the ambulance. And that's when I started to kind of go into a, a panic state. Um, still trying to control my breathing, right? Like thinking, I was like, you know how to breathe, just keep breathing, keep breathing. But I remember starting, I was starting to cry and go into shock. And I, I remember looking at this giant, ginger emt with the biggest fucking mustache ever <laughs> um and looking at him like am i like am i ever gonna walk again am i ever gonna walk again he's not saying a fucking word to me not a single word he's just keeping basically keeping me stable to all the way to the icu um and immediately upon getting carted out of the the ambulance my my dad and my mom are on either side um, and I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't want this to happen. Obviously in shock, right? It's not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong, but uh, they're like, honey, it's going to be okay. Like, we're going to figure this out. Like all is going to be well. Now in this singular moment and moments after nobody has any fucking idea. Right. Right. Um, and we didn't know this at the time, but it would get worse. So, um, they carted me into the ICU um, I'm going to gloss over a couple details here and there, but, uh, basically they, I ended up getting put in what's called traction. Um, and so you can see the scars. Yeah. I don't know if you can, yeah, I can so see it. Can yeah. See the, yep. The traction scars on the side of my head. Essentially what that does is when somebody has a spinal cord injury, um, in the cervical column, they want to relieve pressure off the spinal cord in case it's compressed, in case there's bone fragments like floating around, that sort of thing. And so I distinctly remember upon getting put into traction, you know, they drill into the side of your head. They don't give you any painkillers, right? Because they have, they need you to know 
what your pain levels are, even though you can't feel the rest of your body because you only have pain receptors now above from the neck above. So you only have pain receptors from the neck above, and that's where they're drilling the holes. That's where they're drilling the holes. And that so is, they're drilling. That is, that is gnarly. So they're drilling into the side of your head, right? And I, before they really started, I, I remember my dad's like right next to me. And I was like, Dad, like we need to start videoing this like now. Like this is going to be like this is going to be something here. And he's like, <laughs> God bless him. Right. And he's like, uh, OK. And once again, verbatim, I said, I was like, he's like, all right, three, two, one. And I was like, hey, guys, I got a little fucked up. My neck is cracked at C4 and C5. Um, I currently am paralyzed, but all will be well. I'll be walking again in six months. End video. Posted it out to social media. It went on Facebook, everything, right? To let my friends and family know. At that moment, we, I knew in my head that I would be okay, but no one in the collective vicinity of that hospital thought the same. Yeah, that could, have, that could have been categorized as, as wishful thinking on your part at that exactly. point. Yeah. yeah. I know I had no idea. I right. was just like, I'm a, I'm a strong dude. I can do this. You know, I had no idea the severity and how much more severe it would get. So after that, um, they started the traction process. They would take incremental weights, essentially, and they start at one, and it goes like three, six. It got all the way around up to like about 27 to 29 pounds of basically pressure on my head and my head being pulled upwards. And when I started to see, like I saw pain, like I saw pink splotches and my vision started to go blurry. And I was like, I turned on the nurse because the nurse is like, just tell me when you feel pain. Just tell me when you feel pain. And I was like, it hit that number. And I was like, I see pain right now. And he's like, say no more. And he takes like these giant lidocaine needles and just fucking jabs them into all parts of my head to numb my head. Um, and then that's kind of when things went a little blurry uh, with the painkillers and stuff. So that was my initial uh, initiation into ICU life and, and spinal cord injury. Um, and before we, so get to, that- before, before we get to the recovery... And, you know, kind of where it went from there, I, you know, I am angry on your behalf. I am, I am seething inside that this even happened. You know, what's, what is the culpability and what, what was the reaction of the, of the jujitsu instructor? Um, I can't comment on that because I haven't spoken to him. Um, under no circumstances ever, ever. You can talk to anyone. Should a black belt with 10 to 20 years of experience harm a white belt under no circumstances ever? Like, it's understandable if some, like a white belt, like a novice hurt me, like, like okay, like shit happens. But under no circumstances should a master of the sport and the, of the art ever harm a student. Bar none. There's no argument for it. You can't argue it. Anyone that tries to argue it can go get fucked. Um, so, no, I haven't spoken to him. And there's there's things I can't comment on around the situation, just on the public for public reasons. But um, well, I hope you can't yeah. comment on it because you're taking legal action against that organization. That is yes. That is yes. just 
infuriating and I feel, I feel terrible. Yeah. That, that should yeah. not have happened. Yeah. So kind of circling back to like the whole, the initial ICU. So at the time, you know, I was competing a lot. I was hyper, hyperactive physically, you know, I was surfing, training jujitsu, hiking. I was doing everything a, a 23 year old kid could without while still sleeping. <laughs> yeah. You were, right? you were, you were in peak physical condition doing all yeah. of these activities and yeah. at 1249 that changed. Yeah, exactly. And so throughout that afternoon, right. It's, it's a blur, but, um, I had my nurse who is now one of my best friends. His name is Justin Weiner. Um, all afternoon I had been telling him, Hey, like something's really wrong here right? Something's really wrong. I just knew internally that something was off and he would, we'd have the nurses or whoever check my vitals. And he'd be like, nope, like you check out, like everything's good. Fast forward to about pretty much 12 hours on the dot after the accident at, you know, 1249, around 1250 to 130 AM the following day, November 30, 30th, uh, I suffered hemorrhagic strokes from internal bleeding of clotting from a lacerated vertebral artery um, passing through my brain. So at that point, by sheer luck, Justin, and he, he told me, you know, at a later date, he's like, Dude, he, he's like, I had this gut feeling that something was just really off, but everything checked out. And so I kind of just stayed near your room. And he just happened to be sitting right across the hall at the desk when I basically screamed out bloody murder, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And, uh, he came rushing in. And at that point I was pretty much incapacitated going through stroke, stroke after stroke from the clots passing through my brain. And, uh, that's when, you know, subsequently I got rushed into the OR for about nine hours. And so, um, the dramatics are going to slowly pan off, but, uh, was rushing the OR um, around 2.33 a.m. My mom rushed to the, the ICU and essentially the surgeon came out and was like, your son's had multiple strokes. He's diagnosed with quadriplegia. We have no idea if he's going to walk again, but right now what we have to do is one, we have to save his brain. Two, we save his organs and then his limbs come last. So brain first, organs, then limbs. Like your limbs are an afterthought. Um, and my mom's like, oh my God, okay. Like, and the surgeon literally looked at her in the eye and this is her verbatim what she said. She's like, the surgeon said, ma'am, I have to go in and save your son's life. And then walked out of the room. <laughs> Straight out of a fucking, you know, soapbox movie. Yeah, you were going through a lot, but I also yeah. have, I have- uh, a lot of feelings for your parents and having to go through what, you know, as a parent myself, mm -hmm. uh, put in that position and go through first that, you know, the news that your son is, has broken his neck. And then, you know, 12 hours later, they're, you're in the operating room and they're trying to save your life for nine hours. I mean, that, that is just putting them through the ringer. That's terrible. Yeah. They still, they still have uh, a bit of PTSD to put it I, lightly. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. My mom, my mom always says, she's like, every single time my phone rings, I'm concerned that something happened to you. And I was like, yeah, that's a logical response. <laughs> like, sorry, didn't want to put you through that, but like, you know, life happens. Yeah.
So, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the the dramatic of it, and you know, came out of that they basically put a stint in one of my vertebral arteries that was um, cut, and uh, the surgeon summarized it to my mom is like, hey, Jack was built differently. One of his arteries is actually smaller than the other. We went down to the heart operation floor, grabbed the stint, and then have propped that artery open with a stint so blood can flow. And she's like, well, will that affect his brain and like his ability to speak and everything? She's like, and the surgeon said, we hope not, um, but, and it'll take a few months to heal and hopefully all will be well, but that's what we had to do. And that's what we did on the fly. And so I have a stint on one of my arteries that keeps blood going to my brain, essentially. Uh, and and Jack, I, I, out- I know, Jack, I know you said you weren't religious and, and, and neither am I, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time at church. I spend my, you know, my experiences, uh, where I feel like I'm close to God or close to a higher being is when I'm outside in nature. Yeah. And, uh, you have to agree that there seems to be something at work here. I mean, the fact that you, uh, had done some free diving and were familiar, you did training in free diving and you're familiar with the breathing and you found yourself in that predicament and, and having to control your breathing in that moment, Justin being just outside your door, hanging around because he thought something wasn't quite right. When, when you, you suffered the strokes to be able to call for assistance. And then the fact that you're built differently with the smaller artery, I mean, that's just, it just seems to be a whole, uh, combination of factors. There is just uncanny. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it is, it, it really is. Now that you, you know, you say it out loud, the way you frame that, um, I, you know, I don't know, man. I, I tell everyone it's like, at the end of the day, it was a perfect storm of access to world-class medical care, um, being in top physical shape. And I, at one point when during my ICU stay, a girl I had previously dated, she came in bawling. She's like, I don't know how you're going through this. I don't know. I don't know how you're doing with any, any of this. And I was like, like her name's Harmony. I was like, Harmony, like I was cut out for this. Like I had already knew how to do all the breathing. I'd already been meditating. I'd already been journaling. Like I was doing the self work. Like I was, you know, still, I still think I'm ignorant. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know shit, but like at 23, I was like, I was like, I'm cut out for this. If it was anyone I'd want it to happen to me. Cause like, I don't think anyone else could handle this as well as I'm handling it. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting point, whether it was a higher power or energy or what may have you at play, who knows, but I, I, I can point my success story as a result of a hundred other people's like mm-hmm. efforts. So yeah, you're still here for you're still here for a reason. You you got something to do. You got something to accomplish. You got something to to share with folks. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, it's just we'll cover the ICU stay in like the next five minutes. Anyway, was completely intubated. Was on a ventilator. Couldn't breathe on my own. Couldn't swallow on my own. Um, I could barely chew. Uh, your body atrophies so quickly in a traumatic situation. Um, and I, spinal cord injury essentially wrecks everything. So you lose your ability to pee, shit, um, move. Uh, I couldn't breathe on my own. I was on a ventilator for almost a month and a half. Um, I subsequently got ICU pneumonia. So when COVID occurred, I really had some, uh, interesting thoughts and flashbacks, so to speak. Um, 
because icy pneumonia is brutal. Um, and they have to go down into your lungs with tubes and suction liquid out and you can't breathe. And I know what drowning is like now. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so I basically at 23 had to relearn how to breathe, chew, swallow, eventually move my arms, my hands, my, I had to learn, I was a, basically a baby at 23 again. So, yeah. Yeah. You have come a long way because as we were, as we're talking, I mean, you, you have gotten up, you've moved around uh, your hand motions, everything else. I mean, if, if I didn't know better, I'd, I'd think you were, you were completely normal. Yeah. You'd have no idea. Mm-hmm. And that was one of, that was one of my therapy goals. My goal, one of my big therapy goals after, before getting out of the hospital is like in six months, I want to go sit at my favorite brewery in San Diego and have nobody know what I went through. And that was one of the goals I did accomplish and nobody, you know, I can get it. If I'm not actively walking down the street, nobody would ever know if they don't see my cane, nobody would ever know. So. All right. Important question. Beer of choice. Oh, beer of choice. Actually. So, um, I'm a big hard kombucha guy. Oh yeah. I love, don't get me wrong. I love a good IPA. I love a good West coast IPA. Um, if we were talking IPAs, I would probably say cultures IPA in, in Solana beach, but June shine hard kombucha. I'm a die hard fan. I am actively, actively lobbying to get an ambassadorship with them. I've tried to even apply for multiple jobs there. So, um, hard kombucha guy through and through, it feels better. Um, there's no hangover. I'm a big fan of them. Okay. Hey, that's good to know. I'm all, I'm an IPA guy. I have been petitioning a lesion to, uh, you know, space dust IPA is, oh. my, is my IPA of choice. I've been petitioning <laughs> them to, to be an official sponsor of the John freaking Muir pod all to no avail at this point. But if you become an ambassador, we might have to talk. Yeah, dude. I, you know what? It's funny when you say bring up space dust. I remember when space dust first came out to the West coast in college and we were going down to Pacific beach in San Diego and we're like, what's this 8% IPA, like space dust beer. And there was like a special every Tuesday at our favorite bar. And uh, we'd get a space dust and you're like, I only need one beer to get drunk on a budget. This is great. (laughs) Oh, perfect. Perfect. So you say now you you walk with a cane. Yeah. So Initially, I, I, I still have not seen you in person. I mean, you, when you, when you marched by the campsite, I was, I was still asleep. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I hike with hiking poles. Like I can't not hike with hiking poles. I have to mm-hmm. my, my hiking poles when I'm out and out and about on trails are essentially my like third and fourth legs. Right. Um, I made the decision Initially in 2019, when I got back to San Diego after my rehab stint, I refused to use a cane or any sort of assistive device because I I didn't want to come across. I didn't want to be seen as disabled. Um, And it's a it's a battle all individuals with spinal cord injuries go through, whether they're in a chair or they're walking in some form. Um, And so probably for the first year post injury, I didn't really use a cane and then i kind of made the transition in spring of 2020 where i I 
started walking around with uh, a hiking stick or a forearm crutch of some sort. One, because it makes my life a thousand times easier um, because going up and down stairs is really hard for me. Um, curbs are really hard. I joke when I go on dates as with girls, I'm like, if this date is going horribly, just push me off a curb. I can't, I can't run. I can't do anything. Like you can get rid of me pretty quickly. But um, I also use the cane or the stick or the forearm crutch as a signal to other people to get the fuck out of my way. Um, because if I get bumped into, um, I will fall. It's just a, it's a fact. My, my balance is decent and it's gotten better over the past two and a half years, but it's still, it's never going to be normal. And so I use that as a signal, like people get out of my way. I don't want any trouble. Nobody, I don't like, I don't want to start fights at bars. Like, I don't like, especially like down here in Costa Rica, there's a big, uh, machismo culture. So I'm like, I don't want any problems. This is my cane. Stay out of my way. I do me, you do you like, um, and it just makes my life easier. So that's, that's why I use them. Right. Right. And, and so in terms of hiking, I know that, you know, a decent rate of speed, rate of pace out there, rate of speed, you know, doing maybe do three, three miles an hour. And then when you're going at altitude under pack, it goes to, you know, two miles an hour, maybe one mile an hour on the steep ascents. I mean, how, how does that, how does that shape up for you? So I can't, I, so the faster I go, the more my body stiffens up. So I have what's called tone and spasticity. And so quadriplegia, uh, incomplete quadriplegia basically translates to all four limbs and the rest of my body are affected below the level of my injury. So essentially what this means is if I, this, my left hand is normal, relatively normal. It's a little stiff versus my right hand as a visual reference is like having glue and quick like sand in it. Um, and then like my index finger is like pretty paralyzed and doesn't have any strength. Um, it's what we call quad pause. So like the way my hand curls mm -hmm. is when you're fully paralyzed, you have a complete injury, right? Your hands curl like this when you have complete quadriplegia. Now, um, the way this translates to the rest of my body is I have atrophy across various parts of like my arms and my legs and essentially like part various parts of my body are paralyzed to different percentages. Right. Okay. So like, if we look at my left leg, it's the more functional leg, but it's a bit weaker. So I have more collective function in my left leg and my left hip flexor. So I can lift it higher. So like when I'm going rock climbing, but I actually have more strength in my quad and my right leg, but I have only 40 to 50% of my hamstring in my right leg. And then I also have what's called drop foot. So my foot, I don't have dorsiflexion in my right foot necessarily. It basically lands on the ball of the foot or completely flat, depending on what shoes I'm wearing. Um, and so I trip a lot too. I trip on rocks. Like I like, I have a saying when I'm hiking or when I'm rock climbing, I'm like, if you're not bleeding, you're not trying. Right. And so I always, I always end up spraying blood everywhere um, in some capacity, as horrible as it is. Um, but yeah, basically parts of my body are, are paralyzed to some degree in different forms. Got it. And when did you come up with the idea to, you know what, that uh, experience that I had on Gorgonio and that thought that I had, 
about the next the next logical step being Whitney. Let's do that. I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be standing on top of Whitney under my own power. Yeah. So that kind of became a pipe dream, November 29th, 2018, right? Uh, spinal cord injury is totally unpredictable. And, you know, we're going to gloss over quite a bit of therapy and everything. But long story short, um, the Whitney project came back into my head around February of 2019, right when I was just starting to take like more than like five steps in the therapy room. I just, I remember turning to my therapist and I'm like, I was like, what if we did Mount Whitney? She's like, you have to walk out of this therapy room and around the floor first before we even start talking about hiking. And I was like, yeah, but like, I'm doing this like pretty quickly. She's like, just focus on just standing, focus on moving one foot at a time. I was like, okay, fine. I was like, love you, Barb, but like, whatever. Um, So that came to me February, 2019. I put a post up on my story of just Mount Whitney in, in all its glory with snow on it, I'm like, I'm going to make this happen at some point. No one really paid me any attention, right? Subsequently, I, like later down that, that later that year in 2019, when I'm, I'm walking around on my own two feet, um, not fast by any means. I'd really only gone on one, not even a hike. I'd just, I'd say it was like a mile before I, I went on a one mile hike up a really rocky trail with my nurse, Justin, um, just to test the waters. And I, I only had one hiking stick at the time. It was the worst experience ever. And, but I, when we went to get beers with my nurses, I, I had the, that idea. I was like, I was telling them, I was like, I walked in, they're like, Oh my God, you look great. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah. Like, thanks for saving my life. Thanks for doing what you guys do. And then I was like talking about goals and stuff. And I was like, I brought up Whitney again because I, you know, it was, it stuck out of my mind. I was like, I'm walking in. I think, I think this might be possible. And Justin immediately connected with it. And I was like, dude, I've been wanting to do that for years. Like, I would love to do that with you. And so began that friendship essentially. And we ended up texting every day and talking and getting really vulnerable and close with each other. Um, and now I can say he's, bar none one of my best friends we you know we chat like fuck almost daily right um but yeah he was like oh i'd love to do that with you and so fast forward again to end 2019 i had to move out i had to go create a life for myself so i didn't want to stay in san diego because it made me incredibly sad that i couldn't go out in the water and surf and so the i was looking at other states to move to um and i was running out of money my parents like you know you know, you're on your own. Like you gotta, you gotta make something of your life now that you're kind of out of this initial stage, um, which is not easy for my parents to do, let alone for me to do, right? Um, so I eventually found a job in Denver, um, and I moved out to Denver in Jan, the, right in the smack that, like, right in the beginning of January 2020, I moved out with $900 in my pocket and a Toyota 4Runner to uh, a house I found on Craigslist in a room that I found on Craigslist. I had literally quite pretty much nothing to my name. Um, and I was working on setting up my life and then it kind of dawned on me as I got settled in around February, 2020, March, 2020. I was like, I was like, you know, I think this is the year to go do it. Like, 
I really want to really start hiking again. I really want to get out and see all that Colorado has to offer. And I can't do that. Like being at a gym, I can't do that. Just looking up at the mountains. Like I, I actually want to get out there. And so this was pre sponsorship, pre media, pre everything. I was just like, I'm just going to go get the fucking permits. And so I applied for the, for the lottery permits when they came out and I actually managed to get a, an overnight pass. I was like, holy shit, like, this is for real. Like I got the exact dates I wanted, which as you know, getting those for Whitney are pretty damn people try for years. I got it on my first try. Um, and then this is a crazy series of events. One thing led to another. I was kind of posting about it on social media. And then a friend of mine from college reached out to me. He was a photographer in college and he had been starting to do some commercial work and stuff. And he's like, dude, like, I think you should apply to this, this company that I work at. They're doing this challenge called chase your legacy. It's a $5,000 challenge. And we get to, we make a film out of what your challenge is. And I was like, he's like that Mount Whitney project would be the most insane film you could, we could ever do. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I'll apply for it. And so I started campaigning on social media and uh, long story short, um, I basically blew 15, 20 other entries out of the water with voting across my profiles and family friends and everyone. And um, I won five grand and essentially that basically made it a reality. Like, all right, well now I have to go do this hike. <laughs> um, and so that's when I, I started. What's crazy is, I wasn't walking or hiking at the time in, in the beginning of 2020. I started with quarter mile walks down my block in Denver, quarter mile walks. And then that led to, you know, half mile. And then that led to, and this is in the height of, you know, pan, like the pandemic, like right. lockdown. So thankfully Denver is a very outdoorsy city. So they blocked off the streets to walk on. Um, but yeah, it started with literally quarter mile walks down the street. And then eventually it led to, um, it led to just like one mile, two miles, three miles, four miles, five miles, six miles up in the, in the front range of, of golden and of Boulder. And, uh, eventually I found bar none. This is my favorite hike in the world. The flat irons in Boulder, Colorado. I would lap that hill for hours on end, up and down, up and down, up and down just to get vert in. And because it's such a steep hill, that trail is verbatim, ev not ver verbatim is not the right word, but it's every section of the upper portion of Whitney, like in terms of steepness and like of rockiness. Um, and so all 2020, I basically spent the majority of my unemployment training full time for this hike. And it's all started from quarter mile walks down the block. Okay. And yeah. And we're going to leave it right there and take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to get down to uh, the details of the trip from Horseshoe Meadows to Whitney. And I've got seven or eight uh, trail possible trail names that I've jotted down that we're going to try on for size. And you have the right to refuse all of them or any of them. So uh, sure. just, just, some, just some, some ideas. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Want to make a podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. 
Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. All right, Jack, let's uh, let's get down to it here. So what was the start date of your Whitney project? So the start date in 2020 was supposed to be, uh, I believe, sometime around September 7th, right? Um, what ended up happening was California decided to become a tinderbox and light on fire. Um, unfortunately, now that, you know, climate change is real. So uh that, that led me to essentially burning six months of training off in two weeks by going on a massive bender. Cause I was like, I don't know what to do with my life. Like I just dedicated my entire year to training for this thing. And I was going to go do the impossible. That was a blessing in disguise. Um, so I spent two weeks in San Diego, just being a total degenerate, <laughs> um, for lack of a better word, I won't go into detail. Uh, and then I spent the back half of 2020 kind of just rock climbing a bunch and, um, kind of just living life. And I was like, I, I still, I gave my word to this project. I have people invested in this project. I have to see this project through, right. I'm not giving up on this. So, uh, 2021 rolls around and, um, I once again applied for the lottery permits. We had 10 people apply across my sponsors, my friends, everything. Not a single one of us got our permit dates. Didn't get it on the first time this, uh, this go around, huh? No, didn't get it. And so oh. I was like, I don't know what the fuck to do. Right. Like I didn't know, I didn't necessarily know about the PCT JMT routes. Right. Um, and so I was in Tahoe in April. I was on a month long break in between jobs, between my current job and my previous job. I was living in my van and, uh, I was meeting up with a friend in Tahoe and she was like, oh, you can do Cottonwood Pass to Whitney Summit and then down out of Whitney Portal. I was like, how do you do that? Like, I've never done a trip that long. And she's like, oh, I'll show you. And so she gave me the beta on the route. And I was like, oh my God, like this makes so much sense. It's just a longer trip. Like we were still going to do the overnight trip in three nights, right? But I was like, all right, well, how long is it? And she's like, it's 40 miles plus or minus. And I was like, okay, I've never done a 40 mile backpacking trip, able-bodied or disabled. And she's like, you can make it happen. I was like, rad. And I was, I had a rule of thumb in therapy during my recovery and my ongoing recovery. It, I always said to my therapist, I was like, I want to make this as hellacious and as shitty as you possibly can for me because it's going to pay dividends later down the line when I'm living on my own and I'm doing life. And that motto stuck with me. And so when I found out, oh, this isn't going to be a 22 mile hike, this is going to be a 40 mile hike. I remember texting Justin and I was like, well, 
we love a good suffer fest, don't we? He's like, fuck yeah, we do. And I was like, all right, we're, we're doing 40 miles now. We're not doing 22 anymore. And he's was, like, fuck yeah. Jack, when my kids were in high school, I, we would we would talk about this concept of easy, hard or hard, wow. easy. And it went like this. You know, if you take the easy classes and take the easy way in high school, then the rest of your life is going to be hard. Right. If you take the hard stuff up front, it makes the rest easy. And so exactly. it sounds like you had the same approach. It's had the same. I've always had that approach, but it really stuck, especially with therapy and stuff. So um, we got, I, I stoked my, I stoked Justin out. I was like, dude, like, we're going to do this thing. Like, it's going to be fucking miserable. Like, it's not going to be easy. And he's like, that's what we live for, dude. Like, he's a, he's a, a semi-professional triathlete. He's done a couple Ironman, so he's he knows that all too well. Um, and so, you know, from about April till about basically end of July, I trained every day, most days, 4 a.m. to hike or 6 a.m. to do the stair stepper with weighted bags. And there's so many times during that training prep where I just like would literally bang my head against the cabin. I'm like, I am so fucking tired. I am in so much pain. Like my disability, I live with pain, right? I just live with pain. And so um, I'd wake up stiff and in pain and just like, uh, like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Anyway, um, we did, we found out the Cottonwood Pass, you know, route. We figured out the permits. Um, we figured out, obviously it's much easier to get, uh, in terms of permits. And, um, yeah, we started the hike. I want to say, I believe it was, let me look. I think it was August 7th. Um, let's, let's go back. No, it was August 4th. So we departed to Ridgecrest um, August 3rd. We stayed at an Airbnb. Um, and then we went up to Cottonwood Pass, Cottonwood Lakes area, Horseshoe Meadows area, uh, August 4th. We got a very, very late start because nobody got any sleep the night before because we were doing a ton of filming and, and a bunch of audio and stuff under the stars, which for me, the moment my sleep is thrown off, my body does not function. Like if, so like that first day, you know, we're loaded up on supplies, we're loaded up on packs, like full gear packs. Everyone's carrying probably minimum 30 my bag's probably around 23, 24. And, uh, you know, that first section from horseshoe is like, you know, it's pretty tame, but it's sandy. And so somebody like you doesn't think about that, but for somebody like me who can't create momentum from their legs and I rely on my hiking poles to create momentum, that sand is a bloody nightmare for me. And then now, then you got to go over, you know, Cottonwood pass, right chicken spring and so that first pass for me was elevation wise wasn't a big deal but it's so rocky and so sandy that my speed which is i average a 1.92 mile an hour pace drops down to you know a mile and a half an hour right mm -hmm. and then you get up to over to the pass and you're like oh wow this is great but it's still sandy and so we get to chicken spring. We started at like 1045. We get to chicken spring around like, God, it had to be like one o'clock, two o'clock, something like that. 
we re reload on water and uh then you go over it's not even a pass but you go over that like mountain essentially from chicken spring and it's all loose sand and so that four miles from like that upper portion of chicken spring to essentially lower soldier lake whatever you know that distance it was all incredibly deep sand and so for that first day was essentially 10 11 hours of slogging and dragging my right foot because my because i didn't have sleep so my right leg doesn't work dragging my feet all the way to lower soldier and then what ended up happening was we were completely out of water by the time we got there, right? Because we were out there for so long and there's no water sources. Um, and we get to the stream at like 8 30, 9 o'clock at night. And they're like, we're like, well, this isn't Lower Soldier Lake. Like, we got to keep going. Right. And like, I'm like, first day of the trip, I'm like, all right, I'm going to keep it positive. Like, we're going to find this lake. Right. But it's pitch black. We come to the trail junction, right. And kind of it goes left or goes towards New Army Pass. And uh, I was like, we're looking at the map in the dark. We're like, well, it's got to be that way. It's got to be right. <laughs> right. And so we start hiking up the trail. Basically, half my team, we're a team of six. Half of them almost went all the way over New Army Pass looking for Lower Soldier Lake. When in reality, what we found out the next fucking morning after setting camp in the meadow at like some ungodly, like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. We didn't sleep. I think we pretty, were pretty sure we had a bear come through because it kept one of our tents up, like circled our tent, right? And circled, like scared the shit out of our guys. I didn't, I was out. I went out. I, I had no idea. There's like, we had some bear. Uh, we think we had a bear. We think we may have had a mountain lion or some raccoons too pass through because they got woken up three times throughout the night. Anyway, woke ignorance, up absolutely. Ignorance is bliss, right? Yeah, yeah. Woke up absolutely <laughs> miserable the next morning. Once again, started at like 10 a.m. Are you thinking to yourself right? at this point, what what the heck have I gotten myself into? Reality hadn't set in. We'll get there. Okay, all right. right. So like we start the next morning, we refill, whatever. We start hiking down and we're like, oh my God, like it's downhill from here, right? We go half a mile. Literally the lower soldier lake sign is right there. Like we literally added two miles onto our day to make it like a 10 mile day, 10, 11 mile day that first day for no reason. And so like, we're just sitting there like kicking ourselves. I was like, all right, well, you want to be in the back country for five days. Like, this is what it is. This is what happens. You get lost occasionally. That's right. Or you go, you go off trail. So basically that five miles, once again, from lower salt from well, prior to low soldier, essentially, down to rock Creek, we were supposed to go from lower soldier all the way to lower horseshoe or lower Crabtree meadows. Not, not having no idea how really like long and gnarly that hike is. And so we get down to, to rock Creek. Once again, my sleep's fucked up my nutrition. I still hadn't had really a full meal yet. Right. I was pretty low on calories by that time. Um, everyone's low on sleep. Everyone's low on calories. Cause we got in so late and we started so late. We get down to Rock Creek around two o'clock on the second day and we're refueling, like eating as much as we can. And we, after like an hour and a half break, it's like three o'clock, right? Three 30. We start up, we were like, okay, well, we got to go to a guy up pass and go to lower Crabtree. And so 
at this point, other people from Lower Crabtree and, you know, you know, Guitar Lake are coming down to Rock Creek. And we kind of, we stopped them, like not even half a mile of the trail. They're like, they're like, hey, how much water is in the next, like, you know, 10 miles, essentially eight miles, whatever it is. How much water is there? And like, how gnarly is Gaio Pass? And they're like, oh, there's no water. And we're like, oh no, like we don't want a repeat of day one. Like we won't get in until 12, 12 a.m., 1 a.m. And so we kept asking people coming by and they're like, yeah, there's no water. And then one group came by like, oh, well, there's actually a stream right before Gaio. And we're like, okay, noted. So we as a collective team decided the smart thing to do would be to stay at Rock Creek and sleep for as much as possible and eat as much as possible. And that was actually our, our like our savior day. So that wasn't supposed to be our buffer day. The third day was supposed to be our buffer day. Um, but that essentially allowed me to recharge completely. I went to bed at 6 PM that night I refueled. And that's when it really set into me when I was like, wow, like there's no turning back now. Like we're, we're really in it. And I think, uh, I think every hiker has, some that feeling at some point when they're probably you know at least in able-bodied case 15 20 miles in we're like all right like if i get hurt if something bad happens like i'm eight hours away from any sort of rescue that's right, right? yep and so that's when it kind of really started to dawn on me and i had a, i would ask the guys even when we started i was like i'd turn to them i was like Hey, do you guys believe? And they're like, fuck yeah, we believe. And like that day too, I had like a bit of a breakdown. I was like, I was like, I know we can do this, but like, you guys believe in me, right? They're like, we hundred percent believe in you. Like you, you can do this. Like, we know you can do this. You've done the training. You're literally the toughest person I know. And like my buddy and I, my buddy Cole, who was on the trip with us, he had to sit me down for an hour and I just had to explain to them. I was, he's like, dude, like, I'm so scared right now. Like, I know we can do this, but like, you know, this is no joke. He's like, yeah, this is, we're for reals now. Like we're actually in it. And at this point, we're only 14 miles in, right? And we still have another 10 to go to the, to guitar and then another four to the summit. Right. Right. So, so that rock Creek day, day two was just, thank God, thank God. we, dipped our heads in the water we reset day three we started about i was like i was so fo i was so focused for five days straight i basically i was the general leading my soldiers into battle every single day right and um i made i made it clear i was like guys we're waking up at 2 a.m we're out of camp by 3 30 a.m i need to hike in the dark I prefer actually hiking in the dark because I don't have to think about how much is in front of me. I just have to focus on my light and move one foot in front of the other. That's right. You're and in so, a little, you're in a little light bubble. You're in a light bubble. And I yeah. don't like, I don't have to think about anything except the the rock in front of me or the trail in front of me. And that's why all, I did all my training hikes at 3 AM, 4 AM um, throughout, you know, this past summer. And so we started, we were on the trail by 3 15 3 30 up to Gaio and I that was probably my best hiking day from I went into such a deep flow state up that pass that like we got to the top of Gaio pass and like able body time probably a little bit faster like I was wow. cooking 
probably like two and a half miles an hour, not even thinking. I was just like so deep in a flow state and we hit the top of the pass and just were like dying of laughter. I'm like, I can't believe we just fucking did that. Like, that's not an easy pass. Like it's, it's pretty vertical. Um, and then we like for the next, it had to be three hours. I just, I handed my pack off to my, to the team. And I was like, we're fucking going. Nobody, I don't, I barely said a word. I was probably averaging like a two and a half mile an hour pace. Cause the trail is really good in that section and it's relatively flat. And I just did not stop. Like I did not stop all the way until that basically section coming down into lower Crabtree where it gets a bit rocky. Um, and then that's when we've got our first view of like Whitney of the Qatar Lake area and everything. And, um, I was just like, wow, like, okay, we're actually going to, we're, we're going to make it right. Like we're at, we're at least going to make it to Qatar Lake. And so we got to that, that trail junction around Guitar Lake area or prior to Guitar Lake area. And we re-upped on water. We redid food and we're like, wow, we're way ahead of schedule. Like it's going to be a beautiful day. Like we actually get to watch the sunset today. Nice. Um, but that section going up to Guitar Lake in the middle of the heat of the day. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. And you're, you know, you're going up to what? 11, five, 12 K mm-hmm. something like that. And uh, that was, that was a longer section, but some total that day was only six hours. And that was like my best day. That was my best day of hiking bar none. I was like, wow, I hope I didn't peak physically on day three when we still have a summon in front of us. Right. And so we often, we stopped actually at guitar, Lake to go like just dip in the lake and get water and everything for an hour and make some food. And then we actually went up to the upper lake because it, you know, it shaves some, some distance off your summit day. Yeah. You went to that little tarn up there or did you go to Hitchcock, Hitchcock lakes? Uh, it's the one right after guitar. Lake. Yeah. It's a tarn up there. Yeah. Yeah. So we went to Tarn, we camped up there. That's actually when I met superhero. Okay. Right? Yeah, t- tell us about yeah. superhero. Cause we're, I'm going to talk to her. I'm talking to her and her family a little bit later this week for a future episode. Yeah. So, so superhero, uh, Maggie, most adorable little girl, like the fact that, um, you know, we introduced ourselves like, Hey, you know, I'm so-and-so like we're doing this, like film this inspirational film yada yada um and so we got to talking and um they're like oh well we're leaving at 4 a.m to summit we're like cool we're starting at 2 a.m <laughs> um they're like all right cool like we'll see you at the summit um but it was just really cool to see i think she's what six i think so right? yeah yeah and they're doing a 72 mile hike right just mm-hmm. absolutely I, I remember I, I text, I messaged Jen, her mom, like after the hike. And I was like, you guys are raising her, right? Like that is the way to raise a kid like out in the back country. Like, you know, I don't, I couldn't have done that as a six-year-old. Let me tell you. Yeah. Um, I mean, doing, doing long hikes. I mean, it is, it is really powerful because you look back and you think, you know, if, if I can do that, I mean, I, I can do just about anything. You know, it's, it's all, it's all incremental. If I, if I incrementally approach something and do the steps I need to do, I can do just about anything. And to learn that lesson at such a young age, I mean, it's pretty valuable. That's powerful. Yes. Yeah. A lot, a lot of respect for her parents and a lot of admiration for her. So, yeah. Um, 
Well, take yeah, us that's... take us take us through that last day, the 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 final ascent up to Whitney. How did how did it, how did the two a.m. wake up call and uh, hiking up to Whitney go? I was so we woke up at one a.m. Right, I was dead silent. I didn't sleep that night. I was like, I this three year long project essentially, this three year long goal. Like I'm finally, if all is in sync, everything goes well. Like we're gonna we're gonna make it to the summit come hell or high water. And if I die, I die. Right. I have a, I have a tattoo on me that says, si, muero, si me muero, me muero in Spanish, which just translates to, if I die, I die. It was a, it was a saying I had in therapy. Um, cause my blood pressure would drop and I'd slowly pass out and I'd be like, I'd turn to my therapist and be like, if I die, I die, Barb. She's like, I don't want to do the paperwork. And I was like, too bad. <laughs> and then like, I'd, I'd slowly pass out. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I woke up at 1am and just i was like i was just once again played general i was like let's go we're on a schedule there's no fucking around you guys have your cameras ready have your food ready i don't i have nothing to say like i i just constantly like affirmations i was like believe i turned to the guys like you guys believe like we fucking believe and i'm like all right it's time to stay focused and so there's a video i watched throughout my training sessions for the past two years called it's time to stay focused and just i would just repeat that over and over and over again and so you know you're in the dark heading up to to trail junction and that trail is steep that trail is very very gnarly yeah it is and it's you know there's some pretty exposed sections at points and at one point you know i think we we're probably an hour and a half in i was like it's two miles we got to be fucking there by now and then you'd look up and you'd see like lights, like another thousand feet above you. And you're like, this is, and I was just like, don't even think about it. Just keep moving. Don't, don't think about it. Don't say anything. Don't eat, like, don't acknowledge that there's people ahead of you. Right. And, uh, at one point, you know, David Goggins famous saying, I'm here to take souls. Right. I've always, I've had a, a version of my own of that before I even knew who Goggins was. And then I listened to his audiobook. But at one point we passed one person and I, I turned to Justin. I was like, I just took their fucking soul. And then we, we passed another couple, right. Who started before us. And they were like somewhere probably around, they had to be at like 11,000 feet, something like, or 12,000 feet. And I turned to Justin again. I was like, they may pass us again, but they just let a fucking cripple pass, pass them. I just took their fucking souls. Uh, he's like, fuck yeah, you did. And we would just keep, we just keep chugging along up and up and up and up. And we hit trail, trail junction, probably around six 30, you know, right prime time. And that's actually when I remember looking down, seeing your tents and being like, who this, who are the motherfuckers who have the audacity, the fucking audacity to camp at 13,000 feet with no water. I was like, I don't know who those are, who those guys are, but fuck them, because like we have all of our gear on us and all this extra water, and they're just at thirteen thousand, just camping. Yeah, that fucking be, that that would be us. That was us. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like the the fucking audacity, and I said that verbatim to Justin. He's like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know who they are, but they're wild. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we hit Trail Junction, and for months on end, I had visualized turning to my buddies, my team and being like, Hey, we're at trail junction. Like you guys can lighten your packs. Finally, you guys, you know, it's, it's time. Like we're going to the summit. 
right? And we had perfect weather, no wind, nothing. Yeah, and I, I got to, I got to say those words out loud to them, and I was like, "Wow, my visualization, my affirmations, my visualizations that I've been doing for months, for two years at this point, like they're a reality now." And I, I was like, Justin, like you can take your pack off, you can lighten it, and he's like, "Dude, we're here, like we're fucking here." And it's, you know, it's another two, 1.92 miles to the summit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, like, we're going to the summit. Like, we're going to go make it. And that's, that first mile of the upper portion of the trail. Now, I'm, I'm a rock climber, right? I didn't start rock climbing until actually after my entry. So I'm on, I'm on the U.S. National, like, adaptive climbing team, um i did my first competition in june um i regularly climb on the front range and in gyms so like taking falls and like being exposed on on rock faces does not really bother me but the gravity of the situation the fact that i was so close to my goal i remember turning at certain points because like i had to like scramble over boulders which means basically inchworming over i don't like throw my legs over. I literally just like roll over them and like turning to Justin and like to Alex and Cole and be like, I'm so scared right now. Like I am so scared. And it wasn't necessarily, it was the way my brain works is I have to say these negative things out loud because then they lose power. Was I as scared as I thought I was? No, but I had to say these things out loud. And then I'd also say to them, like in some of the, like the window section, then as you're kind of traversing over the windows and the needles and stuff, I was like, I turned to them like, I'm so scared. Like, I don't want to die today. Like, I don't want to die. Like there's, you can't turn, like there's no getting me off of this if I hurt my ankle or like, like you have to literally would have to carry me out. And I, I turned to them on several occasions. Like, I don't want to die today. I don't want to die. And they're like, you're not going to die. Like keep moving, just keep, keep moving. And I was like, okay. And it was like taking that fear, right. And just taking it and just giving it a middle finger and like shoving it to the side and being like, I'm still, I guess still got to go. I still got to go. Yeah. I noticed on the video that your middle finger still works just fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> does, it doesn't work great, but it works good enough. That's right. It's my favorite. It's my favorite finger. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I always like to say I, I like to give two middle fingers to fuck paralysis. Um, hashtag fuck paralysis. But uh, yeah, I just multiple occasions. I just I'm so scared. I don't want to die. I'm so scared. I don't want to die. And uh, we basically hit that that first section is pretty, you know, exposed. It's gnarly. It probably it throws everyone off. Like I've read trip reports from other people, and uh, I remember this older man passed us. And he was talking to the guys. He's like, oh yeah, this is my fiftieth summit of Mount Whitney. Yeah, that guy was, was camping. Like, that guy was camping right next to us. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I was like, good, dude. Like, I was like, holy shit. And I like, he passed us, and I was like, hey man, like, does the trail get a little easier? <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, it gets easier up like the next mile. The next mile, you you think you're closer. You're not even anywhere near to being close. Right. And you're, you're, and you're at 14,000 feet. So everything is slower. Everything's slower. Yeah. So, and then my buddies told him like what we were doing and who, who I was. And he's like, Oh, I can't wait to shake his hand at the summit. 
right? And um, that last mile, I just, I kept, I was like, we got to be there. And then like with every, I've done a 14, I've done, I did Bross in Colorado um, exactly a year ago almost. And you think you hit a false summit and you're like, oh, oh, it's still another thousand feet to the summit, right? Cause that was my, that was my, like my makeup for not doing Whitney. I was like, I got to do, I have to do a 14 or so anyway. Um, that last section I realized I was like, cause you're going along and you see, you look to your right and the, the hut is right there. But you're like, Oh, why don't I just climb straight up to that? But then you realize you have to go all the way around and then all the way up the backside. As it dawned on me, I was like, we're still not close. It's time to stay focused. Just believe, stay focused, believe, stay focused. And um, for the next basically hour and a half, we trudged our way up all the way up that backside. And then like, it really started to dawn on me when we were going up to the backside, I was like, I'm going to reach my goal. Like, this is really, really going to happen. And I started to feel a little bit of emotion that I've been keeping down to like, ensure that i had that emotional willpower should i need it um to tap into and it kept coming up choking me up more and more as we got to the top i had i acclimate very very well and granted we were at 10k for three four days prior but i i knew my body i just know my body acclimates well and so no issues with elevation but as we got closer and closer to that i was like we're gonna be rounding the corner like rounding the the hill essentially and like the hut's got to be here any second and then as we we're coming up to the hut um part of my team ran forward to take photos and some video and stuff but it, i was like starting to choke i was like like starting like oh my like starting to cry and i was like just stay focused stay focused. you can let it out as soon as you hit that sign on the summit don't let it out now and i was like it was like animalistic crying right and um I, whenever I went on hikes in Colorado, I always used my pole and I would tap my first waypoint and the end of whatever summit of like the mountain or top of the hill or whatever I was doing. And then I would end my hike again by tapping that, that waypoint. And so I'd been visualizing for two years, taking my pole and tapping that fucking hut with my pole to signify that I was at the summit and I just had another hundred feet to go. And so I was slowly starting to lose it more and more and it was dawning on me. And then I, I, Justin goes, Hey, you can tap the hut with your stick. Right. And I tapped that, that front right corner of the hut with my, with, with my stick. And I was like, I tapped the hut, I tapped the hut. And then I kept going. And then everyone, I, you know, my crew was like, Hey guys, like, this is a really big moment. Like we're about to make history. Can you guys move out of the way? Like this is a really big deal. And I basically got to summit with a silent crowd and like everyone kind of on the periphery. And I got to touch that, that waypoint sign essentially. And then that's when I just, everyone started applauding. I just bawled. I bawled for probably 10 minutes straight. Just, I was like, I'm getting emotional about it right now. Like never, let alone the past basically almost three years, but let alone everything I'd been through to finally get to that summit, the low, the highest mountain in the lower 48, 
it's never been done by somebody with a spinal cord injury, let alone quadriplegia. Um, you know, you can't write a better story, right? To have yeah. to say that you were going to do it prior and then have all these tragic events occur, all these curveballs, all these things occur, and then to stand up there almost three years later on top of that summit, you know, it's like, it's, it's insane. <laughs> it's just fucking insane. Um, and then to have your nurse who saved your life, who is now your best friend up there and have your other best friend who's, who's been a mentor in like business and life and stuff up there. And then to have a, one of your good college friends filming it, right? Like real, oh man, like the, just, it just insane, just absolutely insane moment. And like me just screaming out like, animalistic like ah, like crying and like letting three years of emotion and everything just letting it all go and then realizing that's only finish line number one <laughs> right like you still gotta get down and that's really when it got that's when it really got real Oh, that, right. the, yeah, the trail, the trail from uh, base camp or that the outpost down at the bottom of, of 99 switchbacks, the, the trail from that point on down to Mirror Lake is some of the worst trail I have ever hiked on. There's not a flat footfall in every 100 paces. It's, it's just terrible. And that's the worst terrain for somebody like me. Yeah, I can imagine it basically slows my pace down to 0.3 to 0.5 miles an hour. Yeah. So we're not going to, we're not going to dwell on that part, but we're, we're going to end the yeah. story right there at the top of Mount Whitney. I want to say congratulations, Jack, you are an inspiration. I heard from Jen uh, in our, in our communication back and forth that there wasn't a dry eye on top of that mountain that morning. I had, a, I had, a, I had uh, summited the previous night, uh, did a sunset summit. And so I missed out on all the the fun and, and the emotions up there, but I heard it was uh, really awe-inspiring. So what an accomplishment. I, when does the movie get made? I can't wait to see, I can't wait to pay for a, a ticket into a theater and see see this on the big screen. So I have to preface this with it's not a commercial film. It should be. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying though. It should be a commercial film. We, we, there should be a movie and, and, and you could play yourself. Yeah, so it's just the permitting thing. So it's just, yeah, it's not a commercial film, and our team was small. It was six, yes. so it doesn't fall into that issue. Um, but the film should be out sometime between mid to late October. Um, I believe we'll be doing a film premiere in San Diego, and then hopefully we'll be submitting it to some film festivals as well. Um, it'll be called Paralyzed Peaks. Paralyzed to Peaks is also my Instagram handle, Paralyzed, T-O-P-E-A-K-S, um, on Instagram. Um, and I am not currently allowed or I'm not posting video clips simply for the film's sake, mm -hmm. um, but I will be sharing photos and notes intermittently throughout the next few months um, to promote it. Um, we'll also be LA Times front page um digital and print we met like i said the editor on the mountain um so that will be coming out in the next 
two to three weeks, hopefully. Um, currently, the journalist is going through all the stories with my doctors, me, my parents, everyone. So i um, looking forward to that. So Fantastic. If you remember, I would love to get uh, information or an invitation to the premiere. I'd love to go down there and see it. Yes, yes, of course. Um, if As soon as I post, like, updated stuff, com- like, please, like, literally DM me, comment me, comment on the post. Um, we can make it happen. It'll, it's going to be, it's going to be a party. <laughs> it's going to be a really big party. Fantastic. So, I'd like to buy you a kombucha. Yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. Hey, I've got some trail names to try on. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. I'm so excited. Uh, okay. So uh, just some of the ones that came up in my mind as we were talking about various things in your story here, you know, okay. you take, you take souls out there. So maybe Reaper. Okay. Let's Re- Reaper. I want to hear, I want to hear all of them. All right. You're, you're a general out there commanding the troops. So maybe, maybe Patton. Patton. Okay. Okay. Um, out in, in, in the real world, you're, you're using a cane. So maybe, maybe tripod. Try, okay. No, that, no, that one doesn't fit. Okay. You know, right up, keep going. I think, I think I had it in my head, but I'll, I'll okay. I want to hear all, right. all of them. All right. Uh, I just wrote down kombucha. That, that, that could be entertaining there. Um, yeah. Deep because of your, your free diving and the, the depth of your story. Yeah. You know, is that is do you have any more? Oh, I've got I've got more. I've got more. Yeah, yeah. Let's hear okay. let's hear them all. Okay. Let's hear them all. Uh swagger. Because you walk a little differently, but you've got this swagger to you. I, I like that I, one. Swagger. I like that. I like that one. Uh, that's that's number two. Okay. That's number two. All right. Phoenix. No. Ba- no, ba- no. Back from the ashes. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, we've talked a couple of times about ignorance being bliss. So maybe it's just bliss. Mm, no, finish them off and then I'll, I'll give you, okay. give you what I was thinking. Two more. Uh, you mentioned a couple of times born with a silver spoon, silver spoon. And then my favorite, oh. my favorite is nails because you are as tough as nails. All right. So let's, let's top three this. So okay. you said, you said patent, but then you said general. And I like, I like just, general okay like the general the general um mm-hmm. um i liked uh nails is good and then i like swagger so out of those three um i'm torn between swagger and and general um because i definitely have a, I have a bit of a charm to me <laughs> my mom's always said that i think i think swagger is a good one Okay. I think swagger. So I just walk with a bit of swagger, both That's a limp right. and and confidence. So I think uh, swagger is a, a great trail name, and I'm actually I, that's a good one. I'm okay. stoked on that. All right. Waiting, I was hoping I would get it bestowed on the trail, but now that we've had the podcast, I think that's that's the one. Try it on, see how it feels. Okay. Yeah. Hey, swagger. You know where we are? We are on the John Frickin' Mirror podcast that's correct and we're at that time of the episode where i turn to you and ask you for your pro tip insight of the week what little secret can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better right off the top of my head salt tabs salt tabs salt tabs are what saved my ass on the summit and on the 99 switchbacks down our summit day was 17 hours total and because i had salt tabs on those 99 switchbacks, which took me essentially 
almost eight hours to get down. Salt tabs literally saved my life. So if you are low on water, but you have a dozen salt tabs, you can still keep going. And that's what literally kept me from being incapacitated on, on that descent. So salt tabs, salt tabs or die, literally. Okay, fantastic. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Swagger. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Jack, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Um, you can find me on Instagram at paralyzed, T-O-P-E-A-K-S. P-E-A-K-S. Um, I am fairly active on Instagram. I am happy to answer any and all questions regarding spinal cord injury, hiking with disability, uh, rock climbing, you name it. I'm, I love chatting with people. I'm an extrovert. So that's where you can find me. You can find uh, the film info on there as well. And then you can find me on my website at paralyzed2peaks.com. Fantastic. Remember to check pod out on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakingmirror at gmail.com. Swagger, I'm also looking to you to share your recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, YouTube channel, something that's going to keep our listeners connected to the outdoor uh, experience. We're calling this our adventure media recommendation. What do you have for us? Um, in terms of YouTube videos for like outdoor stuff specifically? Yes. Okay. Um, I really love Cody and Victoria Blue on YouTube. Um, they're YouTubers out of Tahoe um, and Reno. And they're a couple that just do backcountry adventures and show you essentially how to do it. Um, I actually have chatted with them. I look forward to meeting them probably this fall and hanging out with them and shooting some stuff. So I think their YouTube channel is great. Um, and I think uh, the other profile is Chrissy May Cagney, um, bodybuilder turned alpinist. Um, she's a previous alcoholic turned sober as well. Um, I followed her journey for probably oh, five or six years and she's getting into alpine climbing and stuff. And uh, we just recently had a brief interaction on social that made my day. And I think what she's doing is phenomenal. So those are the two, the YouTuber, Cody and Victoria Blue, and then Chrissy May Cagney on Instagram are my two favorite follows currently. That's great. You know, we love talking about the stories on the trails, but it's it's so interesting to me that there are so many stories behind the people on the trail yeah. and, and their journeys, their metaphorical journeys. So that's, that's always very engaging and interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And Hey, before we wrap things up, I've got one more segment for you called, uh, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell me about? What did oh. I miss? What did I miss in the interview here? What didn't I ask you about? Um, we didn't really talk about climbing, but, uh, I actually like rock climbing more than I like hiking. And I, I kind of addressed it in the first part that hiking is just an approach with no crag. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm a massive lover of rocks and all forms of climbing. And I look forward to spending my October working remotely and living out of my van in Yosemite. So, and shooting, shooting friends up on LCAP. That's kind of my goal. So nice. I'm going to be, be the first person with a spinal cord injury shooting. For I'm the crippled Jimmy Chin. Let's just put it that way. That's my Got goal. It. Got yeah. it. Sounds very dirtbaggy. Yeah. Very good. All right. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Uh, actually, 
Um, before I get to that last segment there, there that's a wrap from the John Freaking studio. Any shout outs to friends and family swagger? Um, yeah. Shout out to Justin Weiner, my nurse who saved my life. Shout out to Cole Mayer, my good buddy who's provided me so much life insight. Alex Romo on the camera who tied my shoes the entirety of our five day trip when I couldn't tie them on my own, kept my feet secured and locked into those boots. Chase Viken for being the creative director on our project and also just one completely stoked out dude who's just frothing all the time. And then Sam Newton, who was the creative force and uh, creator of Paralyzed Peaks, the name, and gave it to me and has subsequently helped me with a ton of branding and stuff, who also helped on the project as well. So shout out to my crew from the Whitney Project, and uh, we're looking forward to quite a few more projects in the works with them. All right. And don't forget mom and dad and brother. Mom and dad and brother, too. And all the surgeons that uh, fused my neck and kept me, kept me kicking. Yeah. Very good. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if your foot has no no flexion and you spray blood every time you trip on a rock. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.